Hi guys, welcome to the Villain Era podcast. It's Justine and I'm super excited this week to bring you a guest. It has been a hot minute since I have had a guest on and I'm going to be honest, I have had you on my list of wanting to have a guest on for a while. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself. Hannah, if you want to kind of tell the people who you are Mm -hmm. and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for having me. My name is Hannah Deindorfer, craziest last name ever. And I am a fairy godmother for sex and intimacy. So I support mostly women, but women and couples in having a better sex life and everything that comes around that, which is a lot of deep emotional work and confidence work and body love and acceptance and play curiosity fun yeah awesome so honestly I will say I think the first time I've ever kind of you were on my radar is you were on Aaron and Jordan's podcast Mm -hmm. and I know it was with a previous partner but I just remember the things that you guys were talking about I was just kind of like are people in relationships like this like I was in a relationship Mm -hmm. where we were not communicating that well and so that was like a super mind-opening podcast for me and it was really interesting to hear and just like that communication so how did you kind of get into because I know previously you were doing more business coaching and mentorship in that so how did you move into this space yeah so it's actually so funny because the person that I was in a relationship with on that podcast is the relationship that started to open up this realm of sexuality for me. I had, like you said, I built a really successful coaching business in the business realm, business mindset realm. And then towards the end of that relationship, like he had been, you know, we had really open communication as you could see on that show and a lot of relationship tools, but an area that we really struggled in was sex. And it was mostly because of me because I was very avoidant to talking about sex. We had good sex at the beginning, but then it really waned and I avoided any type of intimacy in that capacity. I felt very uncomfortable talking about it. And he would suggest things like, you know, you should learn how to connect to your feminine more and like maybe wear more dresses or like dress your body really well. And and I had gained some weight in that relationship. So I also felt like really uncomfortable in my body. So there were all of these factors that contributed to me not being able to really get to a place in that relationship where I felt confident in myself sexually. And that was a huge, one huge contributing factor to the end of that relationship. The other thing that happened was we were like, okay, well, maybe we'll open up our relationship towards the end. And Play with other people and see if that helps our sex life which if you're considering that please don't do that like if you're trying to fix your sex life by adding more people that's not how that works you should only ever open up if you already have a solid foundation of sexuality and intimacy in your relationship you don't want to bring other people into that mess um but when we did that i was open to it it was mostly his idea and then I met someone when I was on vacation and just totally fell in love with them but also that person opened up my kinky side 
And when I started connecting to BDSM and my kinks and exploring that sexually with that person, it was like the floodgates of my sexuality opened and um, the relationship that I was in couldn't withstand that kind of transformation. And um, so, yeah, that was really the start of my sexual awakening. And even though that relationship the one that the guy that came in and like opened me up like that would ended up being super toxic and terrible ending <laughs> um I for the first time really started to see how important sexuality was to me and how much having that missing in my life was a detriment to every part of my life and through that awakening I I just felt like I needed to help other people with this I was like oh my gosh like let give me all the education on this I can possibly take like I want to take all the trainings and certifications and get really good at sex and then I'm like let me give this to other people because I also was interested in the depth aspect of it the trauma aspect of it the healing capacity of it because for me sex is a vehicle for personal development and an outlet for creativity and yes, connection, but also, um, so much more than that. Yeah. I mean, I was even going to say, how did you kind of handle those comments of wear dresses more or (laughs) that were you in a space that you could take that constructively? I tried. I definitely tried. I, I bought some skirts and he signed us up for this, um, contra and kink class and we did not attend it. (laughs) But there was like, there were, there were pieces of me that knew that this was important, but I was also so afraid mm-hmm. that it made me really defensive. So yeah. there was openness because I knew that he was right, that I needed this, but I was also like, I'm not ready to see that, not ready to look at it because I have also a history of sexual trauma. So it was like, which I hadn't really ever spoken about with him or unearthed with many people in my life up to that point. Yeah. Did you grow up in a household that was open sexually or (laughs) did you have like some shame around that growing up? Um, no, I did not grow up in a household that's open sexually. My mom has blocked me on Instagram. We have a good relationship now, but she does not want to see me talk about sex. Um, because yeah I think you know she grew up in a very Christian Baptist environment we lived in the town where she grew up in which was a very small town so it was like not extremely religious and shameful in that way not Catholic and shameful and guilty in that way but there was this underlying understanding that we don't talk about sex and it's not something that you do unless you're in love in going to get married to that person. Yeah. I love talking to people who have stepped into their sexuality a little later in life because that's how I feel. And I was listening to a podcast this morning, actually. And the woman was saying, I started masturbating at three. And I was just like, you know, like I understand, like, I was like, that is so not where I came from. Like, I don't think that I didn't really start masturbating until I was like 19 actually. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just powerful that you can step into that at any age. It doesn't have to be something that you've always felt comfortable with, but you kind of mentioned that you have 
dealt with some sexual trauma. And I actually shared on here that I had sexual trauma in my marriage. And I think there's a lot of listeners as well who have been in abusive relationships. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. if there's any tips you have. I know it's case by case, but anything you can tell someone who's maybe dealt with sexual trauma that wants to reconnect to their body. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is to really meet yourself where you're at. Like if you've dealt with sexual trauma in a way where your body has been forced to do something that you don't want to do, or you've been pressured to do things that you don't want to do, or maybe you've said yes, but your body was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And you said yes, because you were like frozen or pressured, or there was some kind of external force prompting you to do that or threatening you with a consequence, if not, which is the case for a lot of women out there. Like the last thing that you want to do is you put pressure on your body to be different than it is. So if you have experienced sexual trauma and you're feeling a lot of shutdown or you're feeling a lot of dissociation or disconnection with your body and your sexuality, you need to start really slow. Your body needs to learn that first and foremost, trust is built over time and that you're willing to take the time with it to learn what it needs to feel safe and open up. So what that could look like is you just start with mirror gazing at yourself, at your naked body, saying loving things, and then also just gently touching yourself, not even in a sexual way, but I mean like putting your hands on your chest, and feeling what that feels like, running your fingers along your arms and seeing if you can tune into and feel that sensation, putting your hands on your face and like soothing or lovingly holding your face or your neck or giving yourself massage, like easing your body into receiving touch that is non-threatening, supportive, loving, and consensual. And if you feel your body start to tense up while you're doing this, go back a step right? Whatever you were doing right before that, stay there. And little by little, you can feel your body start to open up and don't go any further unless you feel totally relaxed, totally at ease, totally present. Like if those things aren't present and you feel tense or start to close off or freeze or shut down, you stop and you work with your body in that capacity until it's ready for more sexual touch from you. And so you would recommend definitely working with yourself, right? How would you go about that in terms of if you have a partner and you're not, you know, like, Hey, I love my partner, but my past trauma is kind of ruining my current partner. It's the same exact way, the same way that you would treat touching yourself. Like you first bring it to your partner, let them know like communication around this is huge. It's worth it for your partner to be aware of where you go or what happens to your body or the history that you have. And if they're a great human being and they love you and they care about you, or they just have basic decency, they should go at the pace of your body. And so it can work the same way. Like you enter into a space with them where there's no pressure on orgasm. There's no pressure on outcome. You're just there to connect and be intimate and explore what feels good for your body. It can work in the same way. Like, okay, Is it okay? And asking for consent every step. So you can set it up like your partner asks, is it okay if I stroke your arms? And you can check in with your body, listen and say yes to that, consent to that. And then they can explore that. 
And then they might ask you, is it okay if I graze my hands along your breasts or along your stomach? And you can check in with yourself and say yes to that. And they can do that. And you can continue on like that until you reach a point where your body says no, which can feel like tensing, shutdown, closing off. And then you can have a safe word in that space. I highly recommend safe words, even for non-kinky sexual scenarios, having a word that you can say that means stop, pause, put the brakes on for a second so we can back up and create safety again. And it's, it's a slow process if you're feeling really triggered. And that is for like an extreme case that you're, mm-hmm. you might be working with. If you feel mostly comfortable in a sexual situation and then you have moments of being re-triggered, that's where safe words can come in or you can use nonverbal safe words if you get so frozen that you can't use your voice. Um, A nonverbal safe word could be like three taps on the shoulder or you like pull their ear or pinch their cheek or something like that or do it to yourself so they can see. Um, And the same thing, it would be a pause and then let's create safety if you get triggered and and come back to connection. I love that. I actually just heard that red is the most common safe word used. It is. If you need an idea. But (laughs) one of the things too this past winter is I did one of your workshops, which was a self-pleasure course. And we went through where at the beginning it was like, just touch yourself. And I definitely have never done that. I will say I was someone who would masturbate and it was to the point of how quickly can I get this done? I just want to get to the end kind of thing. And that really Mm -hmm. changed where I just like sat there and I was like holding myself and I had never done that before. And so it's really powerful. And I think I'm going to at the end, lead you guys to Hannah's site. (laughs) because I think she sells this workshop and it's amazing, but starting with that and finding like self-pleasure in ways where it's not so orgasm focused is something I've really learned from you personally. hundred percent. I love that. So how did you really start to lean into the world of kink and BDSM? So I, like I said, I was signed up for that workshop with my partner (laughs) that we didn't do together. After we broke up, I ended up going through the workshop and just watching all the videos and all the exercises were partner exercises. So I'm like, okay, well, I can't do any of this, but I was starting to get education from that content. And then I also had mentioned that I met this guy at the end of the partnership and he was a dom who had Mm -hmm. been, and what that means is a dominant. So if you're listening, um, one really common kink is power exchange. So that means that one person is dominant in an arrangement or one or more, and then the other people or people multiple people are submissive. So what that means is one person's leading the experience and the other person's following the experience. And so he identified as dominant and had played in a kinky space for 15 plus years. He had a lot of experience, a lot of education, and he showed me the ropes. He moved, he helped me open myself up to this space and taught me so much about power exchange and about kink. And the my favorite thing that he did for me was asked me, what is the craziest thing that you could possibly want? Like he just encouraged me 
to say the filthiest and most insane things. And he, and whatever I would say, he'd be like, that is so hot. That's so amazing. Just like hyped up every single like layer of what I would dream up as a fantasy and having that kind of permission granted was so just, just validating and helpful. Mm-hmm. And it made me really learn how to accept myself in that way. I'm asking this from a personal side, but when you <laughs> dove into, cause I've asked my therapist as well. Okay. But as you started to dive into like kink and BDSM, did you struggle with any shame or like kind of guilting yourself around that? Like I'm very, I try to be very like, you know, there's no such thing as kink shaming, but sometimes I've, you know, I asked myself, I asked, well, I asked my therapist, I was like, do I like this because I have daddy issues? Like I straight up said that. Mm. I was like, do I need, is there something I need to heal almost? Mm. Like, is there, you know, like, I think especially when you get into things like, I really like when a guy spits on me or like very Mm -hmm. like, and kind of like playing with like that degrading type of thing. And I'm like, man, is there something (laughs) wrong with me that I need to fix? Mm. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really common experience for people who have fantasies that are outside the realm of vanilla sex. And taboo is different for everyone, right? For some people, the edge is having someone spit on them. For some people, the edge is watching their husband with another person. Mm -hmm. Like what taboo is, is different for everyone. And my perception is that if there wasn't any little bit of shame involved, if there wasn't a little bit of this is bad, this is wrong, I shouldn't be doing this, it would not feel as exciting. That is part of what makes kink so juicy and fun is because there is this feeling of like, oh, if, if this got out to the world, if someone knew that I was doing this, if everyone on Instagram saw that I did these things, I would be rejected or shamed or people would be uh, shocked by it. Like mm-hmm. that thrill is actually what drives some of the joy in kink. And so as much as I, you know, I work with a lot of people on shame, I think that kink is a place where your shame gets to be included in the conversation like your shame and the feelings of dirty, wrong, bad, filthy, disgusting, like that is a celebrated part of it and what makes it so fun. Yeah. I know. I mean, I was, I, <laughs> I had this guy the other week, people, my listeners can judge me, but I had this guy the other week asked, he's like, would you let me pee on you? Mm-hmm. And I was like telling a friend and my friend was like, I hope you said no. And I was like, actually I didn't. I was like, I'll try anything once. Like we can try it, Mm -hmm. you know, test Mm -hmm. it out, see how it is. But it's definitely something where I'm like, and it, even like your closest friend would be like, I hope you said no to that. I was like, well, no, I didn't. Like, Mm -hmm. I think really exploring and like pushing the limits on things has been super interesting in terms of finding my own sexuality. Cause I spent years like not wanting to be touched, not having a sex drive, not even like I would go to the gym and my ex would very much always say, oh my gosh, you're cheating on me at the gym and all this stuff. Mm. And I was like, I'm not, 
I have no, I had no libido. I was not looking at anyone in that way. So it was Mm -hmm. been really powerful to step into that again. And one of the things though, I will say, I I also want to talk to you about, I almost worry about is sometimes I think, is this a phase? Like, Mm -hmm. is this like my hot girl summer or I'm single kind of like exploration phase? Or is this something I can really step into for the rest of my life? And I'm curious if you've kind of explored that at all. Well, I think my answer to that would be like, if I was actually working with you, I would be curious about why it is, why it is that you need to know if it's a phase or if it's something that's going to stick with you forever. Like, what are you worried about with that question? I guess oh so honestly, I guess I'm kind of worried about what I put on the internet. And I'm like, okay. am I am I gonna look back in a year? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, I was really going through a phase then. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So cool. so what I would say to that is I think I think that everyone's had the experience of looking back on stuff that you put on the internet two or three years ago and being like, that's so cringe. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you don't feel that way, you're not growing appropriately. (laughs) That's very true. Right. So as long as, here's what I would say is as long as if right now, what you're sharing and who you're being feels authentic to you, it feels commensurate with your deepest values. Maybe you value authenticity, you value expression, you value truth, you value playfulness and embodiment and so right now in this moment sharing in that way it aligns with your values and maybe in five years from now that kind of expression or sharing will not be exactly the same it'll be different Mm -hmm. I don't think that we ever really lose the core essence of the pieces of ourselves that we bring along they just evolve and I think if you didn't look back on this time and have some cringe, you wouldn't have grown enough by then. That's very true. So I, one of the books I read, Come As You Are, based on your suggestion. Mm-hmm. And one of the things it definitely talks about is that libido is, you know, on a scale. And some people will naturally have a higher versus lower libido with the brakes and the accelerators and that we're all normal. But Mm -hmm. how do you actually, if someone kind of came to you and said, do I have a naturally low libido or is there something a little bit more wrong? How do you kind of like, not wrong, right? But Mm -hmm. how would you almost define that of someone just having maybe a more naturally low libido versus really actually struggling struggling and needing to kind of fix their libido? So here's the discernment for me is like, are you satisfied with the amount of sex that you're having right now? If it feels good to you, if you're like having sex once a week or like having sex once a month feels like the right amount for me. I don't feel like anything's lacking. I don't feel like there's anything wrong here. My relationship's great. My relationship with myself is great. Then I'm like, no problem. If someone is only having sex or someone is having sex once a week or once a month, and they're like, I wish that I was having sex more. Like it's that what they want is different than where they are. Then I'm like, okay, great. Let's work on that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I, I think that you can, if you want to have more sex, 
there are things that you can do to increase your desire regardless of where you naturally fall in the amount that you would want sex given no external factors changing. So the yeah. things that would potentially, so I work with mostly women who want to be having more sex or want to be having not even necessarily more sex, but more sex that feels fun, good, connective to them, right? Because it's quality over quantity. I think most people would agree. Yes. Um, and so for that, the question becomes like, well, what kind of sex is worth wanting for you? What would sex have to look like? And what would your life have to look like for you to want it? And so what that opens up is a whole bunch of conversations around, okay, what's impacting your desire to have sex right now? Is it you're tired? Your job is really stressful. You just are dealing with the death of a parent or you're grieving the loss of a relationship and trying to start a new one. Like there's, there's all these like things in life that could be impacting your desire to have sex. Some of which are not really changeable so mm -hmm. in that case it's like okay well if we can't change your life in that way then how do we make that container of sex like this separate beautiful world that you can easily step into and that you want to and how do we make the sexual environment so appealing that you crave it that you want to step into it so that could look like more conversations with their partner it could look like trying kink out and exploring new things in bed it could look like getting more time in foreplay or getting worshipped by their partner or it could look like their sexual space has no pressure on orgasm and it's just playful space right mm -hmm. like that's going to be super unique to everyone but those are kind of the two factors I think that will increase or get you to a place where your sex is what you want it's like lifestyle factors also potentially deep healing work if you've got some trauma and stories and stuff around that and then um, the environment of sex itself and building that to be what you want it to be do you have any tips for women who are single and hoping to have more sex and have more explorative sex in a way where they can even feel safe when they don't mm -hmm. necessarily have a consistent partner or even just finding people, I would say that are maybe more into the kink and BDSM world. For sure. Yeah. Because I was in that place two years ago, almost three years, three years ago when I broke up with my partner, I had had this amazing sexual awakening and the guy that was like the kinky guy lived in California. He wasn't here. So I was like, holy shit. Like I need an outlet for this new mm -hmm. thing that I'm doing like how do I do this in a safe way because I want to play with kinky people but it feels really risky mm -hmm. and I want to make sure that I'm taken care of and supported and safe and I'm doing this in a way that feels right to me and so there was a lot of vetting first thing I would say is that the app field f-e-e-l-d is the best dating app that I have found for looking for specifically kinky or alternative relationship setups if you're looking for sex that's more outside the vanilla range um <laughs> yeah because if you go on oh uh tinder and you're like just looking for a hookup you the quality of sex that you're gonna get on tinder is gonna be the bar is very low people on yes. fields tend to be 
Like there's a higher barrier to entry for most people when they're entering a kinky space. So generally speaking, people that are kinky tend to be more well-versed in consent, communication, and um, just creating more intention around their sexual experiences. So the field is already, the bar is already set a little bit higher for the most part. Um, I would say vet anyone that you're going to potentially play with for multiple meetups. So don't go out on a first date planning to have sex with them on that date. Meet for coffee first in a public place. Ask them questions like, describe your past experience with sex. Have you ever played in this space? What are your boundaries? That's a huge question. If someone says, oh, I don't have boundaries, that's a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> Ask them boundaries. Ask questions like, if someone had a really emotional reaction in the middle of a sexual experience, what would you do? How would you handle that? Like you're interviewing someone for the honor of being your play partner and entering a really sacred space with you. So if they can't even like answer a question on how they might support you, if you went into an emotional space, they don't deserve to be in your pussy, period. <laughs> Those are great questions. I love it. Yeah. Okay. And then do you have any tips on then not falling in love with these people who <laughs> <laughs> are having sex and we're like, into like, I like one of the guys that I've kind of explored with, right. I just, I mean, one night he just like held me and he was like, do you feel safe? And it was the first time someone had asked me that. And I loved that question. It stuck with me so well. And then now I'm like, how do I just like, not just fall in love? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, one tip is choose people that are like medium hot, not like really hot. You're like, you know, date down a little bit, but people <laughs> who like know how to have great sex. I'm just kidding. Um, having relationships with multiple people or having like multiple interactions going at once can help reduce some of that infatuation or putting mm -hmm. all of the pressure on one person to be fulfilling all of your excitement and intimacy like that actually spreading that out can actually help not to get fixated on one person um and then you know if you fall in love kind of how it goes sometimes <laughs> you're right I mean <laughs> See, no. I would say just be honest and transparent about it actually I do have a really good tip yeah about this so my I have a theory this is actually just not, this is not my theory. This is from a book called His Needs, Her Needs. His Needs, Her Needs has this um, idea that romantic love is highly conditional. Like you can have love that's unconditional, right? Like for your mom, for your friends, even for people that you've dated in the past. But romantic love specifically requires a certain set of conditions to be met. And you can think of these like, uh, little knobs on like a like a chart so if you adjust the knobs in the perfect correct alignment and order you're everyone's going to have a specific order of how much of each knob to be filled they're going to fall in love if you have the the numbers correct 10 out of 10 someone's going to fall in love if what those knobs are, are your unique emotional needs and relationships. In this book, they have 10 of them. So it's like mm -hmm. affection, sexual fulfillment, financial support, 
commitment, uh, of admiration and respect, recreational companionship. There's like all of these emotional needs. And if you know what your top emotional needs are in relationship, one, you can give that to a partner and say like, basically, if you keep doing all of these things, I'm going to keep being in love with you forever. And if you don't want to fall in love with someone, don't put them in situations where they could potentially meet those emotional needs for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if That's someone true. is like having a lot of intimate conversation with you, they're showing you a lot of affection and maybe they're also financially supporting you. And those are your top three emotional needs. You're going to fall in love. So yeah. Yes. Does that makes sense. Yeah. That, no, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, that's always what I, <laughs> so there's someone I have been seeing and we've been like super exploratory. And then after he will, will shower and he'll make me tea. And then last time we hung out, we meditated together. And then I was like, this has to stop. Like, I was like, yeah, I can't don't... do those ones. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I can't do this stuff. Like, cause it's not like showing up in a relationship for me at all. But I was like, I can't, I'm either coming over and I have to then, you know, leave kind of thing. I'm like, I can't be doing meditation and mm -hmm. that type of things with you. So, yeah. um, yeah, I know. So recently you shared a post, at least one recently that I had seen where you have come out as bisexual, I believe. Um, bisexual, pansexual on that realm. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you kind of discover this? Was this through your sexual awakening and how has this been for you um, exploring this side of yourself? Oh my gosh. I have known this about myself uh, for a very long time. I would say, okay. So I remember being in high school and feeling different than other people, like just feeling like something about me was not the same as other mm -hmm. people. And then I had this thought of like, what if I'm gay? And then the moment after I had that thought, I was like, no, I can't, I can't. I was terrified. Like all of these feelings came up of like, holy shit, if I'm gay, like I, my parents aren't gonna love me. Like I'm gonna be abandoned. Like I'm gonna fail at life basically. Like it was like, it was like the biggest potential failure to be gay which is crazy because I actually know that my parents would totally love and accept me. It might be hard, challenging for them, but they would be okay. Like that they wouldn't stop talking to me or, you know, abandon yeah. me. Um, but that was like my, one of my first experiences or thoughts about it. When I was in college, I had my first encounter with a woman and I had driven up to another college for this guy and this is a very like small town Michigan thing I drove up to this college for this guy and his cousin was there his girl cousin and she was like a basketball player that I played basketball with from a different school all through high school I had a huge crush on her and she was there when I went to see that guy and when he went into another room she we were like kind of drinking and she came on to me and started making out with me and I was like holy shit like it was this like thrilling super exciting butterflies experience and I was like oh fuck oh my gosh like what um and then I really locked that part of me down for several years after that didn't talk about it didn't share about it with partners didn't explore it except through like 
jokes with my girl best friends like we would like joke about being gay but Mm -hmm. like never like do anything and then um with the guy that was on that podcast one of my last long-term partners he was actually someone the first person that I came out to we were having pizza after like a long night of drinking and I told him I was like hey so I think I like girls like I like them and he was like yeah I know and just like kept eating his pizza and I was like what the fuck like what do you mean you know that already like he just like was completely unbothered um and nothing really changed and then when we broke up exploring with women dating women in addition to like dating men was part of my kink exploration my sexual sexual exploration so like the first time I went on a date with a girl I was also like teleported back to being a teenager so nervous so anxious and I was like wow this is the first time with a girl where like I'm flirting and I also don't have to question if she's flirting back or if we're just friends because we're both here because we're dating each other it was so amazing and freeing and so yeah since then I've explored in a lot of different ways with women and in multiple partner situations and so yeah that's kind of my history with my bisexuality and I think like I've during the last three years is really when I've come to appreciate admire and accept that part of myself um and it makes me feel so loved by myself that I have let that part of me live and explore. I I think that's amazing. Did you feel almost like pressure or nervousness coming out a little bit? And I mean, I realize you had some exploration in college, but like going on those first dates with maybe someone who's like been out for a while, like I know I Mm -hmm. like girls and you're just like, Hey, I'm kind of new to this. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was felt like the most awkward person, which is so weird because with men, I feel so confident. I'm like, this is so easy. This is a breeze. I know exactly what to say, like no problem. And with her, the first girl I went on a date with, I was like, so nervous the whole time. And yeah, pressure. Like I didn't want to seem like I was a beginner like there was Mm -hmm. definitely that feeling of like I don't want to seem like I don't know what I'm doing here or like I'm a total noob here or whatever but I think you know trying anything new for the first time like a lot of those feelings come up when you're used to being good at things or you're good at something and then you try something different and then you're like but yes I think those are really natural feelings yeah. to have have you been to outer heaven <laughs> no I haven't oh no. my god it's so much fun <laughs> but my like, queer friends love that place <laughs> okay so a couple weeks ago I'm there I make out with this girl which I haven't really like outside of like drunk making out with girls make out with this girl she gets my number texts me I text her back and she ghosts me. I feel like this is so normal with men. Like I give my number out all the time, like a man, whatever. I don't care. I'm like, 
I'm like still hung up that I it, it crushed you like, a little bit huh? yeah it's like so <laughs> different I'm like oh my gosh I don't know like mm-hmm. yeah I, and then I did I so I matched with like a married guy who he like very open partner on hinge his wife slid into my dms and I panicked I was like I don't know if I can do this I was like I'm in my head I'm like I'm interested I'm working up to it but uh still figuring that out so totally okay so I want to leave the listeners with some like awesome tips so if they were just wanting to have some better sex this weekend what are three like steps or tips you would give them I would say first have a conversation about sex (laughs) talk to your partner about sex because if you don't talk about it it's not going to get better that just is rule of thumb is open a conversation about it the questions that I would ask are hey can you tell me about a time that you really loved our sex like what was your favorite time that we've ever had sex why did you like that so much what were the things about that that made that so fun and exciting if we were to add something in addition to that what do you think you would want to try what fantasies do you have that you've never told me about just like exploring what that might be with your partner um just talking about it will probably make your sex better (laughs) like you don't even have to change anything there's just like openness and communication the second thing I would recommend would be to slow down usually you have some kind of script that you go by if you've been with your partner more than five times you probably have you know what are the buttons to push to make them come and they know what buttons to push to make you come and so you just do that I would say slow that down and try thinking up your breathing and making direct eye contact before and during and seeing what changes as a result of that that can open up a lot of depth and a lot of intimacy and then the third suggestion that I have is take orgasm off the table have a sexual experience where neither of you are allowed to come you're just there to be in pleasure to try things to see what you might like and you can get really close to orgasm but you're not allowed to do it and just see what removing the pressure of having that as a goal does change how you want to have sex I mean I have so many thoughts on this I would say so since I've been single I have been dating a lot of guys in their twenties and I'm 30. Like I've been dating like a lot of guys that are like 28 and I'm 33 and they have been so much more like communicative about sex or like after we have sex being like, okay, what was your favorite part about that? Or what did you really enjoy? And like texting after. And I'm like, I one like the last time I was single was when I was like 27. I was like, I do not remember the guys I was hooking up with then. Like asking me those questions so I was like this Mm -hmm. is kind of awesome um and then part of me too is just like I I'm like is it because I'm more open now and like I'm more willing to talk about it so I'm also bringing in these more partners but also at the same time is like is it just a little bit of a younger generation like taught Mm -hmm. to talk about this more which I think is really awesome and then yeah I think the idea of I actually was having a conversation with a friend the other day we were talking about having sex in public And she was like, I don't get it. Like if you have sex in a bathroom, are you getting off? And I was like, no, it's 
I was like, I would say anytime I've done it, it's more just like a quickie. Like it's like that thrill kind of thing that we were talking about before. And she was like, I don't see the point of having sex if I'm not getting off. And I was just like, oh, let's talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I recommended, I was like, you should listen. I'm like, go read, come as you are. And I was like, I think there's a lot of like exploration you can, you know, explore exploration that outside of having an orgasm and what else can sex be. And I think it's really interesting because I think for so long we were fed like the orgasm gap types mentality of, oh, well, we need to close. She comes first. Yeah. Yeah. Like we have to close the orgasm gap. And now it's a little bit more of, no, I still have a really great time and I still really enjoy this and find the pleasure in that. And then one of the things as well, kind of on the similar topic is even having sex that's not based around penetration. I think Mm -hmm. that's been super interesting for me to just mix up things of, Hey, it doesn't have to be, you know, standard penis in the vagina. And like, how can you have Mm -hmm. really awesome sexual experiences doing different things in that way too? Cause I think that's where at least personally, I feel like with a partner, you get really in like that rut of just like, okay, like put it in and like what other exploration could be done there is really fun too. Totally. Yep. And that's why I love kink so much. It's gourmet sex. It's like sex gets to be so much more than penetration or penis and vagina. That's why I love queer sex and kink because it's like, those communities open up the definition of sex beyond the standard heteronormative scripts and encourage an expansion of pleasure as a result of that. Yeah. I love that. I don't know. I'm so happy to have you on. <laughs> I guess I'm like, I can pick your brain forever. Um, but where can, if people like want more information, they want to connect with you, where can they find you on the internet? please come hang out on my Instagram. It's where I'm the most active. Although I have been posting on TikTok a lot lately. So at Instagram or TikTok, my Instagram, you'll probably put the handle below because my name is hard to spell. Um, And my TikTok is at I am Hannah the Red. Um, And yeah, join my email list too, because social media is very censored. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not allowed to say 50% of what I just said on this podcast but if you join my email list or get one of my freebies you'll be added to the email list and you will get emails that are more like this uncensored more communicative stories about my life that are deeper than what I can say on Instagram yeah I'm on your email list it's awesome she also has a ton of really great freebies in terms of looking at I have the sex toy one and (laughs) I have all, I've like downloaded all of them. I love Which one that. do I need to download? <laughs> um, so definitely get on her email list. And then actually that kind of like leads me to, have you thought about expanding to another platform where you can talk more openly in terms of like, I don't know, Patreon or Sunroom or something like that? Because the last episode, my reel that I shared, I talked about like ball gags and like some different mm-hmm. things in the reel. And it, literally had like 10 views. I was like, yeah, Instagram yeah. did not like this, but yeah. Have they you considered like maybe it. getting on like a more um, open platform? Potentially Patreon. That's been on my list for a while to look into. I think for now, like I don't, I'm running my whole business, just me. So to consider another platform is like a lot of extra effort. Um, yeah. 
but someday yeah maybe I think that I my biggest outlet is podcasting being on people's podcasting where I can just like talk freely and then also like my email list feels like a really great place for me to talk to people who really are opting in and want that yeah that's so true awesome well thank you guys for tuning in I hope everyone has a great week and I will talk to you guys next weekend